0: Well, good morning again. Those of you who are, are probably wondering, uh, when are we going to make the big announcement? You probably heard last week we'll be announcing that we have a, a candidate for the position of pastor, senior pastor in our church, and um, that announcement will be made after the sermon. So uh, you'll have to hold on till until I finish here today. So dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would Speak into our lives, Lord, just as you spoke into a a crowd many centuries ago. We pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives. Come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to be speaking about Peter's sermon from Acts chapter 2 today. I would maybe have called that sermon, What Have You Done With Your King? But as we start today, um, I want you to imagine... A situation. I'm getting a lot of echo. Could we maybe turn this mic off? I think that's maybe where I'm getting the echo from. All right, All right, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so I want you to imagine, you come to church one Sunday, um, the church is packed with visitors. You look around and say, wow, I haven't seen a lot of these, <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't seen these people before. And the singing starts and, and the church you know, keeps getting fuller and fuller. Every seat you know, you have to actually move to the center of your aisles because the church is getting fuller and fuller of all these visitors you've never seen before. And um, you look up in the balcony at every seat is taken in the balcony and people keep coming in the back of the church and now they're standing along the back and the side and in the back of the, the, the balcony and, and people are really into the, the singing. I mean, people are just rocking and dancing um, and um, singing praise to God. And, you know you're you're saying wow new life is really rocking today um and then you look around you say i wonder who's going to preach and you look in your bulletin it's 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 empty you know you don't know who's going to preach and you look around no pastor tim no elders and you're you're sitting there saying i wonder you know what's who's going to bring the message to this massive crowd and then sorry i got something in my throat. throat um Maybe someone can get me some water. Thank you. (laughs) So anyway, so so you look around, no pastors, no elders, and the worship leader gets up and says, Today, the sermon is from Joel chapter 2. And they point to you, and you're going to preach. What? (laughs) Joel chapter 2? Are you kidding me? Well, now you probably know how the Apostle Peter felt on the day of Pentecost, um, recorded in Acts chapter 2. Peter was inexperienced. To the best of our knowledge, Peter had never done any public speaking. Um, He was a rookie looking at a crowd of several thousand people that he didn't really know. Um, He was facing a potentially hostile crowd. He just didn't know these people. He knows that his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Uh, had faced a crowd only 50 days before this, and they had yelled, crucify him. And here's Peter standing before this crowd and saying, you know, are they going to say, crucify me, perhaps? Um, Peter was tasked with trying to explain the unexplainable. The Holy Spirit had just come. Uh, There was a loud noise. There were people, uh, you know, speaking in in tongues of many languages, and people were uh, hearing those many languages. Um, Very unexplainable events that Peter was tasked to explain. And Peter was unprepared. He had no time to go to the library. You know, he had no time to study his passage. Thank you. He had no time to study the passage, no time to prepare, um, no time to think about what he was going to say. It was just like the Holy Spirit came, The people said, what's going on? Are these people drunk? And Peter was kind of the leader of the church, so he stood up and let her rip. So Peter was inexperienced, facing a potentially hostile crowd, trying to explain the unexplainable, and he was unprepared. However, even though Peter was unprepared, as the way we think of it, he did have preparation that we often ignore. The Pentecost feast, as I said, was 50 days after the Passover feast, and we find that Jesus... Um, After Jesus had walked on the earth, he was crucified, he he rose again. He walked the earth for 40 days, um, and then he ascended into heaven. And 10 days after that was the Passover feast. And what were the people doing for those 10 days while they were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit? Chapter 1, verse 14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So for 10 days, they were just praying to see what the Lord would do. And the apostles probably had a mathematical formula. Ten days of prayer plus five minutes of preaching equals 3,000 converts. That's pretty good mathematics. Oftentimes we use a different formula. It's five minutes of prayer, ten days of preaching, zero results. There's something to be said for that. But there's also another kind of preparation that Peter had that we don't often think of as well. Verse 4 says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? You know, sometimes these days we think of the Holy Spirit like the Force in the Star Wars movies. I hear there's a new Star Wars movie out again. Um, but the Holy Spirit is not the Force that gives you great insight and great power, uh, you know, the Force that unites everything in the universe. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's the third person of the Godhead. It's a person who has come to inhabit anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Um... To be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means to be completely controlled by the Spirit. Losing control of yourself, no longer doing anything under your own power, but under the Spirit's power. Jesus had promised in Acts 1-8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So praying Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter... Unprepared Peter, inexperienced Peter, facing a potentially hostile crowd, Peter, to explain the unexplainable, gets up and speaks to this crowd. And what is it that he's going to say? The the, the streets are crowded with festival goers for Pentecost. They they had come from many nations of Europe and Asia and Africa. Um, The believers had been sitting in this upper room waiting for the promise, and the promise came in great power great uh, noise so the crowd had a question you know that they said what's going on are these people drunk and so peter had to give an explanation so the first point i'm going to give you an outline peter said answered the question what is it second who is it third who killed him and finally a response that's going to be my outline for today so first of all what is it verses 14 to 21 the crowd had gathered because they heard the noise, and then they heard the loud exclamations of praises of God in many languages. What is it? Peter explains it to the crowd. He says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that it, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I see three specific things that Joel said was going to happen with his great day of the Lord. First of all, the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. People would prophesy. Now the word prophesy does not mean predict the future as much as it means Speak the words of God. It's not foretelling, but forthtelling. That's what prophecy is. And up to this point, only the religious elites were proclaiming the word of God. But in Joel's prophecy, even the common people, the men and women servants, fishermen, um, farmers, former prostitutes, are all proclaiming the word of God. Second, there are supernatural signs that come with the day of the Lord. Blood and fire and smoke, the sun turning to darkness. And you say, well, when's that going to happen? Well, in some ways, it had already happened. Remember what happened when Jesus uh, was hanging on the cross. The sun was darkened for three hours in the middle of the day. A a great sign in the heavens. Um, And you remember that when he breathed his last, that there was a great earthquake. And the dead were raised, and people were seen walking around Jerusalem who had died. Uh, many years before so the crowd had the crowd who was listening to peter had experienced some of these signs in the heavens and in the earth and this was a fresh memory for many of them but it's also important to realize that joel's prophecy was not completed when jesus was crucified Um, joel saw the coming of the messiah and he saw this great day of the lord is all happening at the same moment um what we have is the perspective of history. We saw the great day of the Lord started to come when Jesus walked the earth, when he was crucified and he was resurrected. But there is a greater day of the Lord or a completion of the day of the Lord that's still coming. And we read about that certainly in the book of Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel, um, where we know that there is, is another great cataclysmic event that will terminate earth as we know it. Uh, and in that time, Jesus will come back A second time, so this day of the Lord, the crowd is getting whipped up because basically the Holy Spirit had been poured out. The day of the Lord has come, and they're probably thinking this is it. We better get right with God. Well, the third thing that Joel said that would happen was that there would be an open invitation for all people in all nations to be saved. He says, "Turn to the Lord, and you will be saved," Um, and that's the days we're in right now. It's not just. Jewish people, it's not just a certain class of people. All people, the, the gospel has been opened up to all people. Um, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a promise that we can take today, that when we call on the Lord, he will save us. So the Jewish people there at Pentecost that day, they recognized this prophecy. They knew this prophecy. They had, they had been hoping and praying for this day of the Lord uh, when the Messiah would come. So Peter says, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And there's a natural question that would, would uh, strike the crowd. Well, if the Holy Spirit has come, that means the Messiah must come. Who's the Messiah? So then Peter starts into his second point, answering the question, who is it? Now, I won't read all of the sermon, but starting in verse 22, Peter says, "'Men of Israel, hear these words. "'Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders,' and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then on to verse 32 and 33. He concludes by saying, This Jesus uh, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and being received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter lays out and says, who is it? It's Jesus of Nazareth. And maybe there's probably many in the crowd who, who didn't know who he was. If they had come from a long distance, they probably didn't even know who this Jesus was. So, so Peter tells them, who is this Jesus? a man of great works, um, a man who lived a righteous life. Um, and then he says, as you yourselves know, Jesus had a, for those who knew Jesus, he had a great reputation as a healer and a person who had um, raised people from the dead and healed many people. But then he also tells about Jesus, how he had been crucified by lawless men, uh, and that he had risen from the dead. And, you know, and for this crowd, the thought of a, a Messiah that dies it didn't make any sense but then a messiah who rises from the dead another amazing thought and now he is glorified sitting at the right hand of god the father he's the supreme ruler of all the lord the christ this is who this jesus is now peter um he didn't want these truths about jesus to be missed so he actually and i didn't read everything here but he actually quotes from the Old Testament to say, this is what was going to happen to the Messiah. Psalm 16, that the Messiah, the Messiah King would not be abandoned to the grave. That he would die, but he would not be abandoned there. That he would rise again. And then in verses 34 and 35, uh, Peter quotes David from Psalm 110 to say how he would ascend and sit at the right hand of God the Father. So... Um, Peter is putting together the life of Christ and laying it alongside the Old Testament descriptions of the Messiah and says this Jesus is your king. This Jesus is your Messiah. And this was earth-shattering news to this Jewish crowd that had come from Pentecost. The Messiah has come. It's earth-shattering news to you and I 20 centuries later as well. And you may be scratching your head and saying you know, I I know it's supposed to be exciting news, Jesus is the Messiah. But maybe you're sitting there saying, but if I'm honest, eh, you know, it's kind of old hat to me. How am I supposed to get excited about Jesus? I've heard about him all my life, perhaps, or it's talked about all the time on the TV. But here's the thing. Jesus died, yes, was raised from the dead, um, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. What does that mean? It means that Jesus reigns. He is the Lord over all things, He's alive and working in our lives today. And recognizing that should get our attention, that everything you see around you is under the control of Jesus Christ, whether you see it or not. So we have to look at our own lives and say, am I willingly submitting to this king? I I titled this sermon, what have you done with your king? Jesus is the king. The question is, what have you done with him? Have you received him? Or have you said, well, Jesus is a great historical figure. I have a lot of respect for him. But have you actually given your heart? Have you given your life to him? So Peter's gotten this crowd fired up. The king has come. Jesus is the king. But then he hits his third point. Who killed him? Peter takes out his finger, as it were, and points to the crowd in verse 23 and says, This Jesus delivered up. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You killed Jesus, is what he tells the crowd. In verse 36, he finishes and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh Uh-oh. You can think of the crowd and say, okay, so what he's saying is, The Holy Spirit has come, therefore the Messiah has come, and we killed him. Uh Uh-oh, that can't be very good. Um, It says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know, they completely understood the implication of this. The Messiah has come, and we killed him. But there's something a little, maybe mysterious here. Peter is looking at this crowd, thousands of people, um, and he's saying, you crucified him. And there's probably a lot of people in the crowd who weren't around at Passover. They were were hundreds of miles away. They were in their own nations. They weren't anywhere to be found. And they could have easily said, wait a minute, Peter, I didn't kill Jesus. I wasn't there on Passover. I didn't yell crucify him. Um, So why is it that Peter is saying you to this crowd, you crucified him? But in a very real way, each of them and you and I crucified Jesus Christ. Think about that. You and I killed Jesus Christ. And you say, Scott, you're going too far now. That was 20 centuries ago. I wasn't even born yet. You can't pin this one on me. But the reality is, in a very real way, we are why Jesus was crucified Peter said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God, you crucified. Now, that's another thing you have to think about. What Peter is saying is, God had a definite plan for his son, the Messiah, to be crucified. And you say, wait a minute, so what you're saying is, I crucified Jesus, but it was God's plan to crucify him. So doesn't that mean that God, the Father, crucified him? And in some ways, that's true also. It said, according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge. So what was God's plan? What was he trying to do by having his own son executed on a Roman cross? Well, God always said that there was a fixed judgment for those who sin. He said to Adam in the garden, he said, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That is the judgment for sin, and it always has been. You sin, you deserve death. That is the judgment of God. And for God to be a just God, he can't just say, ah, we're not going to execute that punishment on you because I like you. That wouldn't be just by God. So God is required by his own justice to execute judgment for sin. And that's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you and I so much. He didn't want to see us die for our own sins and ultimately be sent to an eternity without God in hell. So he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take the punishment for our sins so that that we could, could be forgiven for our sins. So when Peter said to this crowd, you crucified Jesus, he was right. And when we hear that today, we can say the same thing. I crucified Jesus because my sin is what put him on the cross. Are there sins that you're struggling with today? Anger, greed, maybe petty theft, lust, jealousy, pride, selfishness. These things are all about where we all are, aren't they? Have you ever thought about how your sin and my sin actually nailed Jesus to the cross? That's what Peter wanted this crowd to understand, that their own sin is what crucified Jesus. Mel Gibson, the, the Hollywood actor and producer, understood this. He, wrote the, he produced the movie The Passion of the Christ, um, and he shows graphically, everything in that movie is graphic, but he shows graphically the crucifixion of Jesus and being nailed to the cross. But what you don't see in that film is the hand of the Roman soldier that's holding the nail is actually Mel Gibson's hand. Mel Gibson understood that he is the reason Jesus was crucified. So he didn't let everyone else know, but that was his hand. And in many ways, we can look at that same hand and say, that's my hand that crucified Jesus because of my sin. So Peter tells the crowd, the Holy Spirit has come, the King has come, The king has been killed, and you killed him. That's the message of Pentecost. And the crowd completely was with Peter. They understood. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? What's our response to what we've done? That's where we have to think about that ourselves. As as a person who sometimes stands up here or in other churches um, preaching, you know, oftentimes we would love, I, I can speak for other preachers, Bob, but we would love to stand in front of the church and at the end of the sermon people would say, what shall we do? It doesn't really happen, I'm sorry to say. Um, but in many ways, um, that's, that should be our response anytime we hear the Word of God preached or anytime you read the Word of God. Um, the, your response would be, God, what do you want me to do with this information you're giving me? Um, Oftentimes, what we do, and I do, uh, I've sat through, I figure well over a thousand sermons in my life, and oftentimes I file it away and my mind's in my mind someplace and walk out the back of the church and don't think about it again, and it's kind of gone by Monday morning. And with the effect of that in our lives, it has a deadening effect. If you get used to hearing the Word of God and doing nothing with it, there's just a, a deadness that ha- can happen in your soul. The word of God is given to us so that we can do something with it, not just let it go. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. He said, if anyone is a, um, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks, sorry, let me get Jesus here. Uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And we all know the Foolish man built his house on the sand from our children's uh, Sunday schools and stuff like that. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, if you hear the word and don't do anything with it, you're a fool. I'm a fool. James said the same thing in James chapter um, 2. He said, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James is saying the same thing Jesus said. If you hear the word of God and don't do anything with it, you're a fool. I'm a fool. You're deceiving yourself. And I call it being vaccinated by the word of God. You know, what's a vaccine? A vaccine, you go to the doctor, and they give you a shot. And what are they putting in that shot? They're putting a little tiny bit of the virus, sometimes a live virus, sometimes a dead virus. But it's enough to get into your bloodstream to create antibodies, to make you immune so you actually never get that disease. And I'm afraid to say that oftentimes the same thing can happen with the Word of God. We hear the Word of God, we get a little bit of it, and it gets into our bloodstream, it gets into our heart, and we do nothing with it. And we become a little bit immune to what God is saying in our lives. Think about that. And sometimes, after a while, we become so immune to what God is trying to say to our lives that he has to take some extreme measures to get our attention. You know, he has to... He has to create a, a major um, drama in our life to get us to wake up and say, God, are you trying to tell me something? And that's not how it's supposed to be. When we hear the word, when the spirit speaks to our lives, the response is supposed to, to do something. Maybe that something is simply to pray. Maybe it's to repent. Maybe it's to, to go ask forgiveness for it from a neighbor. There's many different things that God might be calling us to do. But don't be a fool and receive the word of God, hear it, and do nothing with it. So this crowd listened to Peter's sermon. They were cut to the heart, and they were not going to hear and do nothing with it. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they saw the Holy Spirit poured out, and he's saying, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the response Peter said, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Now we're not going to baptize anyone here today, but if you'd like to be baptized, talk to the church office. Uh, But let me talk a little bit about the idea of repentance, and we're going to be talking a lot more about this next week when Brother Bob is speaking. What does it mean to repent? One definition, it's a change of heart that transforms a life. The whole the idea of repentance is it's a change of mind or a change of heart where you, you recognize and say, what I've been doing is not right. I need to change. You know, it's not enough to, re- to repent and say, I did the wrong thing. John the Baptist called on his hearers and say, bear the fruit of repentance. Bear the fruit of repentance. Don't just say, I'm sorry. You know, little kids in elementary school oftentimes say, I'm sorry and think the consequence is going to go away. I'm sorry, but I'm going to do something about that. Um, So let me just ask you some, some questions that I've been asking myself. Are you living the life that God has commanded you to live? Are you putting God above everything else in your life? Or are you letting everyday life squeeze out God? The Bible calls that idolatry. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Or are you putting yourself and your needs first? Bible calls that pride. Have you spoken words that have cut down or made fun of another person? The Bible calls that slander. Have you looked at another person as a sex object rather than a brother or sister made in God's image? The Bible calls that lust. Have you tried to control another person by raising your voice or threatening them? The Bible calls that anger. And On account of these things, Jesus went to the cross. And we know that but have we stopped confessing? Because we say, well, those things are, are kind of minor. You know, I'm not, I'm not a murderer. You know, I haven't, I haven't done terrible things. But the Bible says on account of these things, the Savior, the Lord, was crucified on our behalf. And Peter spoke directly into my life and your life when he says, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And we, we meet him as we repent. As we we allow God to examine our lives, we turn from those things on a daily basis. It's not a once-and-done kind of thing. On a daily basis, turn back to God and say, Lord, I have failed you in the last day. And then God has this wonderful invitation. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. If you turn to the Lord, you will be received by him with joy, even for the sin that you've committed again and again and again. God is pleading with you to say, turn to me again, and I will receive you. There are some of you today, perhaps, who has never received Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're like that audience that day of Pentecost. You, you, who is it? Who is this Jesus? Or maybe you've sat through Sunday school, or you've gone to church many years, but in your heart of hearts, you know you've never really received him as your Savior. You don't really know if you have eternal life. And Peter's word is, repent. Turn from yourself, your own selfish ways. Turn to Jesus, and you will be received. But repentance isn't just for those who have never received Jesus. Repentance is for you and I, perhaps, who have walked with Jesus for many years. And God said, turn back to me. The places where your heart has become hard, turn back to me. and I will receive you and give you joy, joy for the journey. That's what God loves to do is, is have us walk back to him. So I want to, um, as we close the service today, I really want to have a, a quiet time, a time where we can just kind of examine our own hearts, let God examine our hearts, and just picture him as a father who is welcoming back his child. That's what we are. And maybe if you've never received jesus before maybe god is saying today's the day today's the day to come to him and give your life to jesus we're going to have the prayer team come forward i'm not sure who else here from the prayer team but if you're here from the prayer team um, come forward and i just want to invite anyone who has never received jesus to come and and pray or if you are a christian you you are a follower of jesus and yet uh, god wants to do business with you today Uh, We're going to have a time of quietness, uh, just some light music. Allow God to search your heart, and you also can come forward. Uh, The prayer team is here. You can uh, share with them perhaps what the Lord has laid on your heart. One way to repent is to confess your sins to one another and get accountability for the journey on the way forward. The good news is that the Savior has come. The good news is that He welcomes you with open arms. The bad news is you and I killed him. That's what Peter wanted you to know. We're responsible, but the good news is that he has risen from the dead. He is Lord over all, and he wants to receive you as a a loving son or daughter. So as we end the service, I'm going to pray and then just have some quiet music playing and um, do some business with the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word that has recorded his life and his work. His death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed these things to us. And you've done it not in vain, but so that our lives would be different. That our lives would be changed. And we ask, Lord, that you would change our lives. And in this time of quiet reflection, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, speak into our lives. Fill us with your presence in this time. In Jesus' name.